You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more. Welcome to episode 31 of the Hoops Fix podcast with me, your host Sam Nita, full-time British basketball advocate. And on this week's show, we've got Julius Joseph, the legend. Um, anyone who knows Ju- Julius knows that he is one of the friendliest, most humblest guys and so probably won't do too much of a good job of bragging about his own story. So we thought we'd get him on the show to tease out of him and ask him the questions that we've always wanted to know. Obviously, Jules is a former GB England international, had a very successful uh, college and professional career, uh, and is now doing his thing coaching and also running an outdoor three-on-three tournament every summer in London, well, actually nationwide now, uh, called Ball Out. Um, I managed to attend the, the final event this summer, and it was awesome. It's so hard to replicate... Uh, the vibes that you get when you're outdoors with the sunshine, with basketball and a great atmosphere. Uh, and he has just done a great job. So I think if you're free next summer, make sure you get onto that. But anyway, we had a really good conversation. Found out lots of things I did not know. Um, a few funny stories in there as well, but definitely worth listening to. Uh, as always, let me know what you think. Uh, drop me an email, sam at hoopsfix.com, or you can reach me on all the social media profiles at hoopsfix. Um, and of course, if you have a moment, if you could give us an iTunes rating and review, it would be hugely appreciated in terms of helping this podcast spread far and wide. If you've got any suggestions of future guests, as always, get in touch. Um, but for now, I'll leave it here. Here's my conversation with Julius Joseph. Okay, we are honoured to be here with uh, Julius Joseph. Jules, thanks for joining me on the call. No problem. Happy to be here. Obviously, there's uh, so much stuff to go into. Um, like I said to you before we, we started recording, I've, I've tried to do as much research as I can to get um, the background and the context that I, I want. And I've spoken to a few, a few different people and asked them to throw at me suggestions and things that I should bring up. Um, but I think the most, mm. most obvious place to start always is, uh, is right at the beginning and talk about how you first got into basketball and what made you first start playing. Um, well... When I first started playing, I first started in school in the very, very beginning. But um, considering the career I had, um, it's a bit of a strange one to believe that I was probably the worst player in my school team. It was kind of something I just enjoyed doing. So I continued to do it. And, you know, with anything, if you practice it and you keep playing it, you eventually get good at it. So started off in school. Then I slowly transitioned to playing at um, Westminster Warriors, and that's kind of where the pathway started taking place. So what, what age were you when you actually uh, at school? Like, what age were you when you first picked up the basketball? And like, was there a specific thing that, that made you pick it up? Because, you know, like in the UK, like it's, it is a, still a minority sport. It's a bit of a random thing for people to get into. Like, what was it that kind of uh, piqued your interest in it? So, it's, I mean, the weirdest thing for me was that the... The reason why I picked up a ball was because in my school, it was the only sport that we actually played against other schools and actually competed. So I wanted to compete um, at a young age. I was, you know, I was playing football along with everybody else. But basketball was the sport which our teachers used to we actually, actually play against other schools. So I actually thought, well, I, you know, I just want to play and compete. So I actually started playing from there. I thought it was cool to play against other schools. So a bit of a strange one. And what, what school was it? So Hampstead School over in uh, northwest London. Okay, and you were how old? Uh, 14, 14, 14, uh, but yeah, 14 years old uh, when I started playing there. And would you say that it was, uh, would you say that it was something that, 
you took to naturally um, or was there a learning curve like at, at what point did you suddenly think oh I'm actually like relatively okay at this yeah I, yeah definitely I thought it was something I, I eventually picked up quite quickly um, obviously if you've got good coordination and you know you you your body's kind of good at certain things it kind of takes to it very quickly so um, I learned very quickly and I was very I was always, I've always been like a sponge even from you know a young age in terms of getting information from people and learning and listening and kind of taking things on board and that kind of helped me to kind of improve my skills quite quickly at a young age. And was there like was there people that you looked up to like what were your early memories of the game sort of outside of your school like in a, in a bigger picture in the UK? So um, obviously when you play basketball in school, especially at that age, I, I wasn't really aware of too much else going on. Um, just knew some of my other friends that were playing. For example, Junior Williams had been playing um, a few more years ahead of me. And I actually went to primary school with Junior Williams, uh, um, a former England and Great Britain international. In the end, um, so yeah, he was somebody that I actually saw playing. I was like, wow, he's really good. And he was playing for um, Brixton. Um, top cats and that kind of led into the next part where I ended up um, going along over there to uh, try out and what in terms of the timelines uh, what age were you when this when that happened so um, yeah I went to Brixton I was probably 16 years old um, to go out to when I first went over there and it was um, quite an eye-opener to see that level of basketball which I you know coming from school and then going straight to National League is is quite a big jump even in today's game so and I wasn't aware of too much else in between so I, I was thrown straight in at, at the deep end. <laughs> Do you have uh, memories of the first practice that you walked into and kind of what was going on? Yeah it was, uh, it was quite vivid memories because it was a uh, it was a real, like I said, it was a real eye-opener. So Paul Ambrose was the coach back then. And um, it was the first thing, the first time I actually knew what a suicide was. And um, I just remember running these suicides and my chest, my heart beating out my chest. And I thought I was about to pass out. <laughs> and because <laughs> I never knew, you know, what an actual suicide was. I had never done any kind of sprinting or conditioning. Like, you know, you play school basketball, you, you know, you just play a little bit, play some competitions. And, you know, uh, that was the end of it. But the National League, you know, is a whole different ball game when you're working on fitness and conditioning. And, you know, doing these suicides, I thought, oh, my goodness, what's this? Please don't make me do another one. I'm not going to make it. <laughs> and, what, 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 and so then... Yeah, go on. Sorry. So then after that, I um, I was like, well, you know what? I'm not quite ready for that yet. <laughs> so um, I kind of took a step back. I don't think I went back to play National League again that year. I, can, I started playing local league, I think it was, because I was... At that age, it was a bit. Tra I was a bit traumatized. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> so then, so uh, that's, it's so fascinating hearing these stories because you just have no idea. Like you kind of, you know, we only know of the end result, but um, to, yeah. hear, to hear the yeah the early start is uh yeah it's it's fascinating. So what the the hmm. kind of the, what was the lay of the land of London basketball back then? Like you know, you were playing local league. Obviously, you got Bricks and Topcats. I assume that Westminster Warriors yeah. were around. Like kind of, can you describe the the yeah. landscape for people? 
So, um, back then, obviously, there wasn't as many National League clubs in London as there was. There was the few elite clubs. So, you know, you had the the East London guys, the the Hackney Hackney boys, the Newham boys. Um, we had, um, and they kind of filtered into, um, I think, London Towers a little bit. Um, then we had the South London guys as well. And um, then you kind of just had us, I believe. Oh, and then you had the East London Royals as well. So it's kind of four that I can remember, four or so main clubs, you know, the East London Royals, Hackney, Newham guys, South London, um, Brixton Top Cats, and then what we were doing in Westminster. So it was very, um, so then you kind of got the elite players in London because there wasn't many clubs to kind of choose from. And who, who were the players? Like, who were the guys that everyone was talking about? Um, so... Um, there were guys like um, Marvin and Lakatang. He was um, like to this day. I'd love to see like some tapes if they could find some of him because I just remember him being just unbelievably quick, quicker than anybody I've ever seen. That's that's my memory of it. Obviously, if you see it today, you'd be like, oh wow, okay. You can kind of put it into perspective. Um, Kevin Goodman, um, Wayne Henry um, back then was just unbelievable. Um, there was the some guys, some of the guys on uh, East London Royals team, um, Patrice. Um, that was, I think, he was playing for England on the 18s. Then um, there was another guy at East London uh, as well at the Royals, but I can't remember his name. He was also on the England team. So, though, the, you know, and um, yeah, and obviously at at Brixton, you had um, Paul Mundy Castle. Um, guy called Eddie as well. So yeah, there was a there was a few guys up and at that at that time frame. In and then later on in another era, obviously, then you get the Adjudeng and then those other guys coming through. So as a as a sixteen you know sixteen seventeen year old uh, basketball player in, in London, kind of what was the the aspiration amongst you and and the guys that you were playing with like. Was it uh, was it the NBA? Was it the BBL? You know, were you even thinking you want a professional career? Um, was it to get a scholarship to the states? Kind of what uh, what was the mindset back then? Um, I think at that age it was more just to play national league. That was my first kind of goal to actually you know to be playing national league basketball. That's where I wanted to be, and I wanted to try to be successful playing national league basketball. Um, but you know, at that age, you, you know, it's about the love of the game for me. Because obviously you're just starting out and you're you enjoy playing, so you play the game, and you try to see, seek out as many places to play it and try to better yourself playing the game at that age. Um, that's kind of where I was. So you were playing uh, local league. Was that was that like a, a junior local league or a senior local league? So yeah, so we played. I played um, played a little bit of junior local league. But I remember I played at this uh, a three-on-three tournament run by Pat Fairclough. Um, I remember the, the Newham boys and um, um, Errol, Rodney, those guys, they were playing for England at the time. Um, they were at, at this three-on-three. Um, the Kingston um, junior programme was there as well at the time. Um, but they obviously, they were based out of London. And um, I entered the tournament with a few of my friends from school. So... Um, Again, it was a case of, you know, after I'd been practicing and working out so much time, I didn't really realise how kind of good I had gotten based on, you know, my previous 
experience at Brixton Top Cats where I, <laughs> we was like, well, yeah, this isn't for me. So um, played in this tournament and, um, you know, uh, I was recruited again by um, Paul um, Ambrose when he saw me play because um, Brixton was there as well. So he was like, wow, OK, you know, I want you to come play for me. So it was quite a, you know, amazed. I was amazed that the, you know, the, I think the thing is, it's like, if you don't, if you get, if you, um, you're playing and you, you're not good enough and then you train and you work out, and you train and you work out, you train and you work out, you don't know that you're improving, but you are improving. Um, and then when it comes to a time where you actually have to play against the same people, there's a huge difference, but you haven't realized that you've made those leaps and bounds because you just got your head down practicing and you know trying to get better so when I played in this tournament um, I was recruited by Brixton Top Cats I was recruited by the Kingston coach as well for them from the the professional team he had a, they had a junior program so I was recruited by them and um, I think based on me being traumatized by Brixton I thought let me give Kingston a try and uh, go over there and um, see how that goes because I'm I thinking it. I don't really want to go back to Brits because I kind of left with my tail between my legs. <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so you made the decision to go to go to Kingston. Uh, and so at this point, yes, did you? Yeah. What age group were you playing? Did you go there to play in? So I, it was under 18s. So I, I'm, I was probably uh, my. It was the year. It was my last, I had like one year of under 18s left. So I went, to, went over there and played and I was playing with um, Kevin Goodman as well. Um, he, he later on went on to play college basketball and he had, a, I think he had a year playing professional as well. Um, so yeah, so it was kind of me, him and a few others on the, on the team um, in my last year playing under 18s. And um, it was quite a good year I had, if I, if I remember well, I, you know, I averaged roughly about between 18 20 points a game during that year we got to the semi-finals of the national um, competition so yeah we had we had a real good year playing there and it was you know it was and it was always tough one because we had to play Brixton as well and um, it was like uh, it's like every time I saw them it was like I just felt <laughs> it brought back those memories obviously you try block it out and play but it was like wow okay have to get through this thing and play them again with this tough team but um it was it was always something that you know it's I I always enjoyed that the challenge as well and then obviously when I had to play against Brixton as well there was uh, Wayne Henry was on the other team who was the he was quick he could jump he could shoot he could he was just he was like one of the best players I've seen at that age group at that time and when you're trying to play and guard someone like that obviously you're, you you do your best but it's, it's sometimes you're going to get a rough night no matter who you are and, and where you're playing and so and it, he had he had some good games against us I remember so what was the what was the format of under eighteen uh, national league back then? Was it a true national league where you were travelling, playing south and north, up and down the country, or was it broken into conferences? Or yeah, so it was north and south. So I remember that we um, we finished. Um, it was north and south, and I remember we finished in the top fourth, and we had to go up to the north and play against Barrow, which is pretty far up there, and. Um, we had to beat them in order to get to the semis. I remember, and um, yeah, we 
we um we managed to win that that one game and then uh, we lost in the semis there. But we um it was quite an accomplishment considering where where we started and who we had. So it was it was a it was because obviously it was really competitive not being as many national league teams because I mean there was two two main um, leagues and that was it north and south. Do you feel like nowadays there's just way too many teams and the talent's just too diluted across too many different teams? I I do I I really do because um, when I think the elite players need to be together working and playing and and an elite league it needs to be in a, a real elite league where all these players can kind of progress and and you know we can really get the best of the young talent all playing together all improving together but um, obviously it's a good thing that there is more basketball teams available for everyone. But at the same time, you know, there is a bit of a two, you know, it works in your favour and then it works against you at the same time. If you were to, obviously you're around, these days you're around a lot of junior basketball still. Um, so you kind of got the reference mm. point, uh, the reference points of both. If you were to compare mm. the standard of under 18 basketball when you were playing in it uh, to com- mm. compare to today, um, what yeah. would you say about the two? Um, obviously, to you know, in back then, I think things was obviously you know I'm old school, so things were were a lot tougher, especially on the kids, especially you know on and you demanded a lot more from the kids, and and the players when they when you know when they're at training, and now it's you get the the some of the the time it's like the kids are doing you know you get that feeling the kids are doing you a favor. Look, coach, I showed up for practice and I'm on time. I'm doing you a favor right now, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. That kind of attitude, which is, you know, it's and it's, and it's part of it is because of the the recruitment process as well. You know, you have to you recruit a kid and you're like, oh yeah, come and play. You know, da da da, and you have to kind of spoon feed them a little bit too much than what we would have back in the day. Yes, we want you to come and play for us, but yeah, now you're here, you need to get on with it you know, sort of thing. And, and it was a bit more of a, a tough love scenario. Yeah. I'm, okay, I can't say that for every club because every club might have their own culture. But just from what I can see and what I've been around, that is kind of the way. So then for you, uh, after that year in Kingston, um, kind of what was what was the next step after that? Obviously, we know that you, you ended up ultimately in the, in the US uh, going to college, but was that, mm. was that immediately after under-18s or did you have another year? Like, kind of, Talk me through that whole transition and kind of what happened. So after the year playing under 18s, I was searching and trying to go to college. I thought that would be, that would be, you know, that was my the goal at that time. Um, but the opportunities that I had kind of fell through. There was one I had opportunity to go to Maine to go and play. Um, and it, it was like a partial scholarship and there was this happening, that happening and the paper, you know, it's a, it's a process and, and the paperwork wasn't right. And, you know, so that one fell through. So I played um, National League um, Division 2, I believe, with the Westminster Warrior Men for a year as soon as I came out of the under-18s um, because, it, you know, that there wasn't, there wasn't an opportunity to go to America yet, even though, you know, I was actively searching and looking for one. So, so what was the, uh, as a 19-year-old in mm. Division 2 men's, like, how was that for you? Like, were you good? Like, uh, could you contribute? Were you getting minutes? Like, uh, yeah, how, how did you find it? 
Yeah, it was it was good. It was quite a strange one. I didn't have a jump shot at all. Like I couldn't <laughs> shoot from I couldn't shoot from the elbow. Like if if I took a shot from the if I took a shot from fifteen feet out, people would look at me like like what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but the crazy thing is, you know, I had good footwork, a lot of energy, and I had very good post moves and was busy around the ring. So I. I averaged about 19 points as a 19-year-old in D2 men, which is, you know, that's pretty, it's reasonable. It's pretty good. For, for good sure. Without a, a jump shot, too. Were there a lot of junior players that were playing uh, in senior competitions back then? Uh, no, no, none. I don't remember any. Oh, wow. So you, I don't, as yeah, a, I did, don't remember had, any. Would you say that, like... Um, Kind of, did you have a reputation at, at that point? Like, were people kind of talking about you as this as this kid that was coming up and coming through? No, no, no. And the thing is, I think throughout my whole career, I've never really had that because maybe because the way I play, it someone described it as meat and potatoes. You know, <laughs> I get the job done, but there ain't gonna be like nothing too fancy to it. You know. <laughs> So if there's nothing too fancy to it, there's not really, you know, like, and, and I'm not a, an extrovert kind of person. And, you know, like a Yorick Williams where, you know, you know Yorick and and Yorick has his character and he's out, you know. So I'm a quiet, humble, hardworking person with a, a meat and potatoes style of game. And that doesn't really get too much shine, I guess. <laughs> So then on, on that on the same note, like uh, when you're, you know, so this was what, like 90s, around 96, 95, 96-ish, 97? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the process for, you know, getting to the States these days, it's it's obviously a, a lot easier. Kids, it's a lot easier for kids to get exposure. Mm. You've got game tape, um, you know, mm. c- coaches in college are actively looking for, for players uh, abroad. Back then, like, mm. how were you trying to uh, make an opportunity for yourself in the States? Like, what was the process? How did you end up making it happen? The thing was, it, it came down to uh, luck and opportunity and um, being ready. And um, I like I always tell these kids these days, especially if I see kids on the court and they're acting up and their attitude's bad and they're playing, I, I always tell them, you know, you never know who's watching. You you really never know who's watching, especially if, if they're talented and you see their talent, but then you see their attitude as well. Then you see them talking back or you see them starting altercations. And I, there's something I, I always try to tell them, like, you know, you never, never know who's watching. So I went to a basketball camp in the summer. Um, it was just a, a ABC Adidas camp. Um, in the UK? Over in, yeah, in Aylesbury. They had it. So it wasn't it wasn't like the you know they have the elite, the elite ones the A B C D I think that's the elite ones but the A B C was just a more of a you know a standard summer um, living you know standard um, accommodation uh, weeks basketball camp so I went along and um, the camp brought a few coaches over from America as well so um, I remember Andrew Sullivan was at the camp and um, and um, the late, great Joe White was at the camp as well with a lot of the kids, um, Robert Sargent and his whole, you know, young young crop of elite players. They all came over to the camp as well, as well as, you know, all the other people from around the country and um, played in the camp, you know, had a good week and I got the MVP of the camp, 
and um, that's when I met the coach that um, that I ended up going to college with. Oh wow! And so he did he he offer you uh, a scholarship on the spot, or like you know what happened? Well, he said, you know, you know, I, he's basically we spoke, and he said, um, you know, I'd love to have you over. Um, I'm going to look and see what we need to do to make that happen. Like he says, hasn't done the process before in having a, a foreign player over come and play in, uh, come over at Georgia College. But you know, he's, you know, he liked my work ethic and how I played, and you know, he'd like to make it happen. So, and it wasn't um, straightforward. So it didn't happen that site that same summer. I believe it happened the year after. But um, they were, he kept in regular contact with me, making sure and letting me know what the process was going on and how it was going and and um, what the situation was. And so, and I was lucky and fortunate to get that opportunity. So, was there at that point? Was there a lot of other British guys that were in the U.S. college system, or, or guys that were going over, or was it? Uh, is it still quite a relatively um, sort of new thing? Yeah, it was. It was because again, you know, there wasn't as many elite basketball players because we had didn't have as many big clubs, so not many players were going over there. Not well, you know, a fraction of what we what what's happening at the moment. Um, and again, because of the the communication between colleges over there and over here, obviously now it's easier, so so much easier to communicate. But back then. How do you communicate with a coach if you know it's it's difficult to, to to establish that communication line? So, you know, my opportunity came down to just to being at the right place, being at the right time, and you know, being ready to play and you know, doing well. So yeah, it, it wasn't too many players. So do you remember the moment when uh, you had the full-on confirmation that um, you know it was actually happening and you were one hundred percent going, and kind of what your what yeah. your feelings were about it? Yeah, so um, yeah, so you know, I was I was over the moon. Obviously, I was so excited to ha- get that opportunity, um, but you know, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. You know, <laughs> um, you know, you yeah, you go into America to play basketball. Okay, great. So okay, we go to you know, I got a scholarship. Go to university. Great. I'm going to live in a whole new place by myself. Uh, don't know any of the people there apart from the coach who I've, you know, speak to occasionally. And, you know, I don't know what the style, what basketball's going to be like out there, whether I get to play, whether I'll be a star. I don't, I had no idea. So I was excited, but I was also like, wow, yeah. So hmm, it's going to be interesting. <laughs> what I don't know what's going, what's happening next sort of thing. And we all, what thing, yeah, go on, carry on. Sorry, the last thing I, I had, like, so... This all happened, and I didn't visit the, the college or go over there and see it or anything. So I had absolutely no idea, apart from what limited pictures there were on the internet of the college. So yeah, it was a whole. Um, I was going into the dark, basically. Fully blind, fully blind. Yeah. And what yep, about yep. your your family? Like, uh, you know, weren't they like? Were they worried about you? Were they thinking kind of, you know, you're still like a teenager? Is this, uh, you know, is this for real? Like, is it actually happening? Like, what kind of, what, mm. how were they perceiving it? Um, I think, you know, they were, they was excited for me because obviously they saw the opportunity and um, they, they, they knew it was something I was kind of working towards. And, you know, they know how much I love playing basketball. And obviously, you'll get, I'm going out there to study at university as well. So, you know, the parents are, are happy because obviously I'm going to university and I'm doing basketball too. So, 
um, yeah, they were happy for me, but obviously, obviously, a little bit concerned as as well because obviously, I am going out there blind. I have no idea what's going to happen next when I'm out there. So, what happened when you when you touched down and you first went to the to the college? Like, uh, do you kind of remember your early um, sort of reactions and perceptions of, of what was going on? Yes, I mean, it was it was. It was kind of unbelievable. Obviously, the facilities out there and the space and everything else out there is that I've, it's just it was just remarkable. I never you know never seen anything like it. The equipment they had, and um, it was a little it was a little bit overwhelming, you know, just to knowing that I was <clears throat> I was out there by myself, and <clears throat> for the first time in my um, in my life out there by myself, um, about to start a whole new chapter of my life. And yeah, it was just yeah, really overwhelming. But I just thought, you know, I'm here, and I, 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 I the way I looked at it was, I got a great opportunity, so make the most of it. So first practice, did you have a uh, sort of welcome to America moment? Or was there kind of a moment that you were just like, oh, this is uh, for real? Yeah. So it was, it was. My 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 coach, he he has like two sides to him. So off the court, the off the court side, he's such he's the nicest guy you could meet. But as soon as we get on the court and we're playing or we're playing in a game, then it's you know it's business and it's obviously his he he's got a job to do at the same time. So it's it, it was so the 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 main word it was that it was so competitive, like um like I I saw like their brochure and you you know you see their media guide and you see the team and they'll be like. 16 people on the team and then i'll be like well hold on how can there be 16 people on the team <laughs> like you know that just you know how you know 16 people are not gonna play so i realized that you know yeah there's gonna be 16 people there and you're gonna have to fight for your spot every single day and you're gonna fight for your minutes every single day obviously you'll get the same you get a lot of guys that were on their full scholarships maybe about 10 but then you'll get a lot of walk-ins that lived locally, so they, you know, they're not don't have to pay as much for their studies and fees, etc. So, and it was just it was just competitive, competitive, competitive. I always say that when uh, my first experience of, of watching America, it was it was actually high school basketball when I went out with Barking Abbey um, when they were competing in the City of Palms Classic a few years ago, and they had a couple mm. of warm up warm up games against the local a local program. And the thing that just blew my mind was just how talent-wise, the American side wasn't that much better than like talent-wise wasn't wasn't better than Barking Abbey, I don't yeah. think. Yeah. But just the hunger of every single player yeah. was just relentless, yeah. pressing the entire yeah. game. And the moment they yeah. got taken off the bench, they got taken off to the bench. The next guy would come in yeah. and be just yeah. as hungry. And, yeah, yeah. unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> and you can see yeah. why that that creates that environment, right? Like, um, yeah. Yeah, it's a different world. Absolutely so, different world. Yeah, go on. So just just to add to that, I think my first practice, coach wanted to see who wanted it more. And the craziest drill I've ever seen, and it's something that I would never do with any kids just because of the safety factor. He would put two guys in the, sem- the, the middle circle on one end of the other, so they're facing each other at opposite ends. He'd put a ball in the middle, and he'll blow his whistle, so the ball being on the middle on the floor, so the ball's in the right in the middle of the court, he'll blow his whistle and then he'll be like, let's see who can get the ball first. <laughs> so basically, two guys are diving head on to try and get this ball 
And obviously, one guy's going to be like, well, I'm not going to headbutt him, so I'm not just going to let him have it sort of attitude. Or unless you get two guys that are both, you know, that kind of, it kind of showed him who wanted the ball more. It was, I was just like, wow. Uh, now, you know, I do want the ball, but, you know, <laughs> am I going to split my head open to try and get this ball? <laughs> uh, I don't know. So I, you know, <laughs> had to kind of go at those kind of things kind of tactically. But yeah, yeah that's the kind of things that, they would do to kind of find out who wants the ball and who really wants it more than another person. So, yeah. And then skill-wise, how did you find your game translated? Like, did you feel like you were out of your depth or did you feel like it was, you know, relatively comfortable? Like, um, yeah, what was the comparison mm. between the UK and what you were used to in the UK and, and kind of uh, college basketball? Yeah. Yeah, so it was quite a, it was quite a weird one. Like, um, So I just finished playing at Westminster Warriors again that last season. We got promoted, played Division 1. Um, again, I had a good year, averaged roughly about, I think it was about 21 points per game, which was, you know, which is solid. Um, so I thought, OK, if I can go over there, play with men here, when I go to the States and play with guys that are my own age, I should be all right. Yeah. And... Yeah, so then I just, the first practice and we're playing and we're scrimmaging, because um, you know, obviously, when you go over there, you start scrimmaging, you're not allowed to get coached for a little while first. Yep. And all the tricks and all the stuff that I've been doing, none of it worked. Like, <laughs> it was just like, yeah, just nothing was working. And it was just like a whole nother level. And I, and I did feel out of my depth, as in, and it was a bit of a... As well as a culture shock being there, it was like a shock on the court too in terms of the level that these guys had and, and how good they were. Was there any point that you remember kind of thinking, I regret coming here, I am out of my depth, I want to be back in my comfort zone back in the UK? Or was it more like, ah, oh, this is a challenge, I want to take it on head first and I'm going to make myself good enough to be able to compete? Yes. So um, I think after my first year, I averaged about four points a game which I don't think I've ever done, ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, so, I, you know, I played sparingly. You know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, it's my first year there too. So I play, I was played sparingly, which, I, you know, is part of the process. But I don't, I'm not used to this process at all. Um, so I was like, wow. Um, I didn't think that it wasn't for me. I thought I could, I could get there. But I was wondering, like, right, am I really, am I going to be good enough to actually play with these guys at any point in time so that's kind of what my thinking was and I thought well well I thought well next year I'm gonna make sure I'm as prepared and as ready as I possibly can be um for next season and I'm gonna try to make myself better the coach gave me a, a, a weightlifting program and I'm gonna stick to it all summer long and I'm gonna work out and I'm gonna train and I'm gonna make sure that I do my best to make fully use of this opportunity I got because I can't be sitting on this bench and averaging four points again during the year. You know, <laughs> I came all the way over here for this. So when you during the summers, did you did you come back to England to work out or did you stay in the States to work out? Yeah, I stayed I stayed over I came back home, sorry. So I came back home and um I was just motivated. I was motivated. I don't think I've um there's not too many times I've been that motivated. Um every single day during that summer I stuck to the weightlifting program because I just thought everybody else would be doing it the same thing and <clears throat> being extra prepared and ready so I needed to make sure that I was as well and you know I played I worked out as much as I possibly could during the summer 
um, and to make sure I was ready for that next season. And where were you working out? Like, you know, uh, we know obviously all the stories about having difficulty getting access to facilities and stuff. Like, where when you when you were back in England in the summer training and stuff, where would you go? Mm-hmm. So, <clears throat> um, Roger Hosanna had the scrimmage at, um, down at Crystal Palace. Um, so I used to drive down there. Um, I used to work out at Mobley. You know, we'd sneak in there during the day when nobody's not using the court. Um, I used to sneak in the weight room in uh, six o'clock four times a week to work out on the dot four times a week, six o'clock um, to lift my weights and to, to stick to my schedule. Cause I was going in there so early, no one really paid attention. So <laughs> it was just sneaking in places and, you know, sneaking, get shots in at different gyms, wherever I could really, but just make sure that, you know, I made sure I put the work in over the summer. So then you went back for your, your sophomore year. Um, kind of in the mm-hmm. stuff that I've looked up, uh, the, the the thing that I found was that the it was actually your sophomore year to your junior year where you had like a crazy um, level of improvement. I think I see your old coach saying that he's never seen anyone improve so much uh, mm. from one year to the next. But So what, first of all, talk me through what happened in your sophomore year and then uh, so, kind of then after that. Okay, so... My first year was my sophomore year because I had a year at university um, over oh. here. Oh, really? And I wish, so they, I wish university yeah. where you were in England. Uh, London South Bank. Ah, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. So you went straight into your sophomore year at yeah. Georgia. And then, so when, he, yeah. so when he said your sophomore year to your junior year, he's literally talking about that summer that you've just been speaking about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Okay, so then, so talk me through your junior year then. What, what happened when you went back after you've been training? So, um, after all the training I did, I came back and, um, you know, I still thought, again, like I, I always said, like, when you're working and you've got your, head in, you've got your head down and you're working and you're working and you're trying to improve and you're trying to improve, you don't realise you do improve because you're just too busy working day in, day out, trying to get better. But over that summer, I had improved and I had improved a whole lot. And mixed with having the experience of knowing how they play, what they do, being more prepared and, you know, to tally, to to make sure my game's ready. um, I came back and I was, you know, a whole new player. And I think my first year I was trying to make the most of the opportunity, but I was working at 150% like effort. And sometimes if you work with too much effort, you rush things and you trying too hard so me working out you know the game got a little bit slower and I got more confident as well and there was just a huge improvement in my just off the court and um, I was stronger I was fitter I was sharper I could jump higher I was you know slowly developing a jump shot and my jump shot this this started to develop that year as well um we have um at the college had a shoot away machine and coming from england i never saw what a shoot away machine is but if you see them if you first ever find a machine where you don't have to rebound the ball for you for yourself yeah you're gonna be there all day every day you know because that's just like a gold mine and that's exactly what what i what it was i was on there all day as much as i possibly could shooting at least every day and um, I, it was I had an individual workout with coach, and then um, I was shooting like long twos consistently. And he was like, "Well, you know what? You can shoot long twos. You might as well step out to the three. So then I stepped out to the three pointer, 
and was able to knock down three pointers as well. So I had that added to my game. And uh, the strange, the strange thing was my position. I was a four stroke five, but I was six three, six, four at the most. Yeah. So I was a really small, undersized four five man. But my whole, the whole team was around about the same height. Even my, the point guard was, you know, six six two. So we could switch a lot and we could do a lot of different things. So it was a strange one. I was an undersized five man that could shoot threes and, you know, I always had the post game. So it kind of all came together. <laughs> I, I, I did read something when I was um, doing the research. Video, I read that you played centre and I was like, you played centre at college? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. How, yeah. How much do you think that, that helped your game? Like kind of playing, I guess, you know, what ended up being out of position uh, in the long run? Mm. Mm. Um. It helped a lot because um, I was I was always quite strong, so I could I could stand out and and guard bigger guys and um, and again I've always had that kind of close to that basket mentality from a young age, not having a jump shot. So I kind of it kind of all transitioned through and it all kind of came together. So what what in your uh, in that junior year um, kind of what numbers were you putting up? Obviously, you went from four points a game in your first year. What what, yeah. what, what happened in the, in the so, second? So yeah, so I went from four points a game to seventeen point five points a game. Nice. Um, I, I was uh, I was all team first conf- um, first team all conference, um, all district first team as well, and. Um, I think all regional second team as well, and we won the conference. We won the conference regular season and the championship that year as well. So it's not not a bad uh, not a bad transition yeah. from one year to the next. Kind of a, yeah, definitely. At, at this point, um, were you like did were you still were you, in your head? Were you thinking, oh, like I want to be a professional basketball player? Like that is kind of the end goal. Was it still not uh, in your mind? No, not yet. I think when it during my senior year, then I started thinking, okay, what's next? And then obviously the next transition would be looking at playing um, professional basketball as a as a goal. But it wasn't like the be all and end all. It was more of a case of okay, let me give it a go and see if I can make it. And if I can't make it, obviously then go to Plan B and use the degree. What What was Plan B? What, what were you thinking if you didn't end up doing basketball? Um, so I, I, you know, I enjoy, you know, computer science and um, it's one of those strange things. I don't know why I enjoy it, but I just enjoy it. So I would have been looking for some work, you know, using using that my skills and my interest in that. OK, so then uh, senior year, was that when you did, you had the Elite Eight run? Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. So senior year, yeah, that's when the Elite Eight run came and... Um, I think that su- the next that summer, um, I, I worked out, but not as much as I did the year before because obviously I had to put some money together to pay for, you know, the uni life. I wasn't a full scholarship, but, you know, there's still other stuff to pay for. And um, being a foreign student, they wouldn't let me work out there. So I had to uh. save some money in the bank. So I worked out, but not as much. So what, job did numbers- you have? what job did you have? 
So, um, what was oh, I was a security guard, yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just over the summer, just over the summer, yeah, worked as a security guard at Marks um, & Spencer's. That is actually amazing. So your first team all-conference in this during the season, and then the summer you come home and you're a Marks & Spencer security guard. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. So, uh, so obviously that affected your ability to be able to work out quite as hard. So your your numbers in your senior year weren't as good, but obviously you, you had the team success, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, we still had the team success. We were the regular season champs. Um, I averaged about fifteen a, a game. Um, I was still first team all uh, conference as well, and um, we were in our, I think, our semi final in the conference tournament. And obviously, we were favoured to win it all. We were we would have been ranked as high as eighth in the nation, I believe, at one point. Um, we had quite a we had a quite a re- the coach put a really tough schedule together for us as well. Obviously, based on our success last year, and we had seven seniors all coming back that year, including myself. So we had a really good team, and so he put a really tough schedule together against the. Um, I think one of the teams was the national last year's national the, the year before's national champions Kentucky Wesleyan I believe, um, um, and yeah fast forward to the end of the season we was in the regular season um, semi final in the conference tournament and um, I remember it like it was nothing um, there was a, a moment in time where we were down I think we were down two with like about thirty seconds left and I went to the basket to shoot a finger roll nice and high and um, came off the back of the rim and we, we lost the game. So we were upset in the semi-final of the wow. conference tournament. And the, the worst thing is the best picture they have of me is doing that finger roll. So I see that picture all the time, everywhere. That's not your Skype but, profile picture that I can see yeah. right now, is it? Yeah, it probably is. <laughs> oh, wow. Killer. Yeah, is it is, it is, it is. <laughs> <Just look. laughs> Amazing. Yeah, um, yeah, it is so. Uh, but the thing is, it all ended up good because we got at large. You know, we were really, you know, obviously as a senior, you don't want it to be that to be your last game, and um, so we watched the rest of the tournament, how it panned out, and then the selection, um, the selection for the the national tournament, and we got an at large bid. And um, yeah, so then we we was we made a magical run, and got to the elite eight. And uh, uh, yeah, it was the best this college has ever done, up and all the universities ever done up until uh, up to date. Um, I, I feel like uh, Georgia College and State University—they kind of worship you a little bit. You're obviously you were inducted into the Hall of Fame um, a few years ago, and I kind mm. of I, I, I have seen stuff over the years with them putting stuff out on social, and they kind of often refer to you as like the the most successful athlete ever to to go through their doors. Is that that kind of right? Mm. Um, I mean, there have been there have been other guys that have gone on to play um, professional basketball as well. Um, obviously, having a British passport helps me play in Europe easier and longer. Uh, uh, you know, because obviously I played in Belgium and different places. So, but yeah, um, I, I don't know how to take that compliment. That's a huge compliment on on their part. How did it feel to be inducted into their Hall of Fame? Oh, um, that's, it was kind of unbelievable and very unexpected. But, you know, I'm a humble person and um, the way I, I look at it was, 
um, yeah, I had a great career at college, but I had a great team. And obviously, without that, my teams as a team are success, I wouldn't have got that induction, I feel. So, you know, we had a great team. I was, you know, on paper, the best player on the team. But we really had, we had a really good team that year. So, but yeah, that, that, that being a, a Hall of Famer and having that, you know, that's something that, I, that stays with me forever. For sure, for sure. So, uh, in amongst, in amongst, uh, whilst you're at college, you also you played in the World Student Games a few times. Is that is that right? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I was lucky enough to play in it for three times. So they had it. I think it's every other year. Um, that was that's an amazing experience because you get to play against you know the best in the world. That's at university, and you know the USA always bring a, brought a really talented squad. Um, and they brought guys that generally made the NBA, obviously, because they're bringing their best university students. So they brought a lot of guys that eventually ended up in in the universe in um in the NBA. So it was it was huge. We went to one was in Sicily, one was in um, Beijing, and um, the other one was in um, Gran Canaria, I believe. Also, oh, Los Palmas, with that's um, one of the islands yeah. over there. Yeah. And so, how so, did how did uh, Great Britain do in those? Um, not too good, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not too not too well. I think we've got a history of not doing well in those kind of tournaments. Because <laughs> um, uh, I think we probably, uh, I'd say, if there was maybe sixteen teams, we'll be about eighth, eighth or ninth on average. I'm thinking each one. Um, we had a hard time bouncing back from. Um, from sometimes if you get if you lose a game you got to bounce back the next day and play again to try to you know to better yourself sometimes we had a, we had a bit of a tough time bouncing back and who um, who, who were the on, other guys that were on your that you were playing with who were some of the other guys on the roster um so um neil finkelton um rest in peace he was in um he was on one of the teams you, you know um, and um a guy called Rafilue, he was at Miami, Ohio, and um, Kevin Goodman again, uh, Junior Williams, um, Eugene Barr went to Princeton, Kojo Mensabonsu, um went to um, oh, where did Kojo go to Washington, and obviously his his brother spent a lot of time in the NBA up and uh, just recently. Um, I I can't even picture. I can't remember all the all the names. It was a while back now. <laughs> so uh, the other thing I wanted to ask around that sort of time uh, was it at that sort of time that you also played in Rough and Ready? Yes. So can you so, talk a little bit about uh, Rough and Ready, like what yeah. it was, like what it meant to people? Uh, yeah, tell us about it. So um, Rough and Ready was the most. You know, it's the most electrifying, exciting event that, you know, I probably, in terms of tournaments that I've been a part of, we, um, it's on the day, you know, you, um, you get caught, you get called up to say, yes, you know, you're, you're, you've been invited to play or you're on the spot on the roster. Uh, you go in the meeting room and then, um, in the meeting room, they go over all the rules and then they, they call out what names are on which teams. And when you hear your name being called out on the team, it's like it's like you made it. 
it's like you've been drafted or something. <laughs> it's like, you know, you feel like you made it if you get your name called out. And um, rough and ready, they they made sh- they made sure they got the best talent across the UK, and anyone that's British that's playing over in America, they regularly flew people over from the states just to play in the tournament. Um, and which is you know that it was huge, it was huge, it was huge, and you know the excitement obviously just being in Brixton Rec you know if there's a tournament in Brixton Rec that's you know big enough as it is but this tournament was huge and it and it you represented your your ends as you would say you know there was the south which was you know the Brixton guys there was the east which was the Hackney the Newham the Towers London Towers those guys over there um the north was like some of the guys that were up north like you know maybe a Mike Bernard and Yorick and some of those guys, they would play representing the North and in the West, which was us representing them. You know, um, you'd get Perry Fontaine, um, myself, Junior Williams, Mike Martin, those kind of names as well. So it, every game, every game was that. Sorry, Jermaine Forbes, shout out Jermaine Forbes, have to put his name in there too. You, you know, it would be the games would be unbelievable and the talent was just ridiculous as well. What's your most memorable moment uh, from Rough and Ready? So um, we won it. The West won it one year when I played in it. I think I played in it twice. And one year the West won it. And um, I got the MVP for it, for the tournament. Yeah, so that was... And it was a nice big trophy as well. So that was the biggest trophy I'd got at that point in time. So that was, yeah, that was such such a big feeling. I was on, you know, cloud nine. Just knowing that, you know, we... We topped, we won that, that, you know, rough and ready. We were the best, we represented London and we're the best team in London. And it's bragging rights too for the rest of the year. Yeah. You know, no yeah. one can take that away from you. And you, we reg, you know, you regularly get reminded, you know, if you won it that year, you know, we'll be telling people about it when you see them again. So, yeah, amazing. I was going to say, like, obviously now um, you're doing your ball out three on three, which has kind of fast become a, a well-recognised, well, the only sort of big time three on three tournament that's happening um, up and down the UK in, in the summer. Like, do you feel like you take you've taken you know things that you've learned from Rough and Ready uh, and you try and apply it there, or there's lessons there that you kind of uh, try and bring to to your own events now? Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, just with my event, it's something that is you know just growing year to year. Each year, you know, I add a little bit more to it. And so, you know, I'm steadily growing and not try to outgrow what I can do at the, t- at the present time. And um, to be honest, un- unless we was in Brixton Rec, <laughs> it would be tough to get that same electrifying excitement. But being at um, Turnpike Lane, being on the outdoor courts, it- it's pretty close. It's pretty close to it. And um, yeah, I'm... I'm I've learned a lot from Rough and Ready and obviously from Midnight Madness as well. So it's those kind of things that I'm slowly adapting and putting towards building ball out and trying to make it as big as possible. Sweet. So um, I'm, I'm aware of time here. Like, isn't it? I never have enough time to go into everything that, that I want to go into. But a couple, couple of uh, segues. So turning pro, mm. um, kind of when you finish college, uh, you know, mm. at that point, I assume that it 
you know, you had to make a decision and think about whether or not you're going to continue with your basketball career and, and, and make that happen. Kind of, what was the process? What were you thinking? Mm. Did you sign with an agent? Uh, did you have offers? Like, kind of talk us through that that whole uh, process. Okay, so um, I'll make it a, a quick summary. So um, I signed with an agent, and um, obviously I was in London, and um, Rick Taylor, who was at London Towers, I was, you know, working out with with him and the, and the team. And um, I, I was Kevin. No, Kevin Cable wasn't there. Rest in peace, Kevin Cable as well. And uh, my condolences to him. And but we, uh, I wasn't. A, they wouldn't. The league stopped me from signing with London Towers because I'd recently become an England international as well that summer the, 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 what, the bbl stopped you from signing with london Tower. yeah they wouldn't they wouldn't let me sign with them because Why? um because steve butner was already there and i think someone else was already there that you know played for england and they said yeah i'm not allowed i was like <laughs> what, well they that's thought, crazy because they thought that it was going to be too much talent on one team yeah yeah, but yeah. How, how, do they even have the mandate that they're allowed to do that I don't know. I don't know. I just got the word that I wasn't allowed to sign with him. And I was like, okay, all right, let's keep it moving sort of thing. Um, wow. So, because I, when I spoke to Rick, that's what he that's what he told me. That's what the league had said. So, um, I ended up playing at uh, Manchester Giants, um, coached by Andre Lane. And um, that year, I just thought, you know what, I'm going to give this pro thing one year and see how it turns out. Try to do the best I can. I was a bit you know a little bit young and I was I was young but I was hungry I would say so being young and hungry you don't always take the best shots you're just hungry <laughs> you know <laughs> so, so I thought, and I thought Let me give it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good way of putting it I was trying to avoid that word thanks <laughs> so so you got your first pro yeah. contract and you're just like right I need to get mine yeah, 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 yeah. So I thought, yeah, I've got to be hungry out here. And I thought, let me try this for one year. If it don't work out, I'll keep it moving. So, yeah, basically, I, I jacked a lot. But I was <laughs> I was good, made a lot. Um, I remember my third, my debut, I had 29 points. Um, and oh, wow. then, then, then the next game, Sheffield shut me down. And I think I was like seven for like 20-something. And I was like, oh, I got got called into the office. Like, what? You need to stop shooting so much. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> but I didn't stop you in the next game. You just like, I just got to keep on shooting until I get him back. No, no. Yeah, I just got to make it. That's all. <laughs> you got to keep shooting. Got to keep yes. shooting. Yes. So following that, I had um, I averaged about seventeen um, in my debut. So which was, you know, it's reasonable for my first year. Yeah, solid, um, solid rookie in, year in the BBL. Yeah. What, what, um, uh, in terms of the state of the league and stuff, like as a as a professional, like kind of what sort of money? Mm. You know, you don't have to go into specifics if you don't want to. But what kind of money were you earning mm. in terms of it being an actual job, a career? Like, uh, how did it yeah. work out? It it wasn't great. It wasn't great, and I, maybe because it, you know it was my rookie year as well. Um, you know, I'm not going to get paid crazy money in my rookie year playing in the BBL, um, but the money wasn't great. It was wasn't like wasn't professional basketball money if you play professional basketball um anywhere you should kind of be playing to a point where you got something to save at the end of the day um rather than being you know from month to month so to speak so but again it was my first taste of it 
and it was a case of getting my foot in the door and you know proving and kind of making it lead onto bigger and better things, which is where my my goal was. And um, I got sorry, go ahead. I was going to say the uh, how would you like what was the state of the league uh, back then in your rookie year compared to say today? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was good. I mean, it was on Sky Sports. Um, London Towers was an amazing franchise, you know, run by Rick Rick Taylor. He was, you know, a really good owner and a very good, really, really good businessman. Um, you had um, Leopards, who had a great London Leopards. They had a great franchise as well, um, big money, and um, yeah. So the league was was in a good standing. Um, at the, the when I went to the Manchester Giants, it was just after the glory days when they had, you know, the Tony Dorseys and, and everybody else and, and that completely stacked team. So it was just taken under new management. So a lot of the, the Nick, it was the Nick, um, was it Cooks? The Cooks that used to own the club. So they kind of yeah. pulled out someone else, took ownership of it. And so there wasn't as much um, budget as what they had the year before when they won everything. So you did your you did your rookie year and I guess after that you were like, okay, I could potentially do this professional thing. I, I want to... You know, I want to continue it and make a career of it. Or were you still having, you know, thoughts about I need to get a, a proper job or whatever it might be? Mm. So after my rookie year, um, I got contacted by um, a team in Belgium, and um, they'd been doing their research and they, uh, they came and watched the game without they, you know, they had been doing some, you know, watching games and saw me play. And um, spoke to them in the summer, and then they offered me a, a contract which was like triple what I just made um, playing out there, which was, you know, it was really, really, really good money out there. So I thought, well, yeah, let's make this work and let's keep <laughs> keep it going. And so how, how how was it in Belgium? Like, uh, you know, you you've obviously done the moving abroad thing and and set, starting a new life already mm. when you went to the US. Like, uh, yeah. how was the cultural transition to yeah. to Belgium? Um, yeah, Belgium, it was pretty easy. It was pretty easy. Obviously, the, the language barrier was a, a little bit tough, but where I was at, they spoke Dutch or Flemish, which is like a Dutch, and they spoke they understood English, so that helped a lot. They drove on the other side of the road, so the driving was a bit of a getting used to, but that was fine eventually. Um, and just getting used to their mannerisms and what they want on the court. So, again, it's a whole new transition from playing um, basketball in the BVL to playing basketball in top level Belgium it's a very big difference Would you? was it I, miss, I mean was it a lot stronger in Belgium than it was in England yeah it was it was, it was a lot stronger I mean you had guys like you know um, Roger Huggins was out there playing on the top team he was earning um, like half a million a season really um, in yeah, Belgium in, in Belgium in Belgium in Belgium and I mean, you know, you get looked after like, you know, like over here, for example, over here, you look in the newspaper and you'd see four pages on football and then four lines on basketball. Over there, you would see four pages of basketball and four pages of football. It was kind of, you know, an equal kind of level. And, um, you know, their top teams, the top teams there played EuroLeague. We played in the Euro Cup. Um, which you know the the next tier down, so it was very good standard, very good standard, and you know you get really well looked after. Um, came like we had a car from the dealership, we had 
maids, we had cleaners, we had new apartments, and you know it was yeah, we really well looked after as well. Very. Do you, do you think it's fair to say that it was kind of like that was uh, in some ways it, it felt like your first, like this, it was almost like oh this is what it's really like to be a professional basketball player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, and I, and, that, and that's kind of when I thought that I'd you know reached my goal where I wanted to be at that level, playing in that environment. And, um, yeah, that's where I thought, yeah, I I made it, basically. <laughs> I got to where I needed yeah. to be in terms of my personal goals. So you did three years in Belgium, and then you ended up um, coming back to the BBL. So, so obviously, mm. based on everything that you just said there about kind of like you feel like you made it, and it's kind of like, a, mm. you know, finally being a professional, did you feel like then mm. when you went back to the UK, uh, it was a step back? Like, were you disappointed to be going back to the UK, or did you just, did you feel differently about it? What was going in your head, going through in your head? Um, I wasn't at that time. I think there was like um, I played. So I played three years in Belgium for Brie, um, which was D one, and I played uh, a year after that. I was looking for a team. I think the, the, the after that third year, and I ended up going back to Belgium for my that fourth year. And afterwards, it was coming around the Commonwealth Games time, I believe, uh, and um, they was that's when I that one that's when I got roped into coming back to England uh, to play so you came back because at of the a BBL team. Games. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, what, so that was, what the, was the... Was the Federation... I, I mean, I don't know the full details of kind of how it worked, but was the Federation mm. subsidising salaries so that people came back so that they could then play in the Commonwealth yeah. Games? Like, how was it working? Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. They So they gave, they gave the clubs, certain clubs, um, money if they had players that were part of the Commonwealth Games team to subsidise and keep them in the UK for that season. So okay. I was still getting the same kind of money that I was getting in Europe because of the subsidise that I was receiving from um yeah, from the government from the the from team from yeah. the governing body. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. So then So that's what made it are you keeping yeah. are you keeping an eye on the preparation for the Commonwealth Games that uh, that they're doing this year? Like I feel like a side note, obviously we're digressing a little bit here, but I feel like everything is very, mm. it's very, uh, they're very behind schedule in terms of where they would want to be at this point, uh, considering that the mm. games are in, you know, April, um, <coughs> and mm. they've literally just announced the first long list. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it yeah. is very, it is very quite slow because I mean, obviously you'd want quite an extensive preparation and and know what you're doing. Probably by now you would say you'd you'd want to have your squad and know what's going on and kind of taking it from there obviously I'm sh- so I uh, hopefully they can kind of pick up the pace a bit because I was I saw the list and you know a lot of talented guys and I think they got what they need um I, I think they're missing maybe I need a couple more point guards maybe but yeah. otherwise yeah so it, the list looks good in, in the run-up to the Commonwealth Games were you uh were you still were you having training camps during the season as well or was it just a case of they want like why was it that they wanted you in England was it to do the training camps during the year as well as playing in the league or like kind of what was the yeah like what was the format the preparation yeah so they wanted us here because yeah they had training camps so there were certain weekends um it was normally like a uh like two or three days that they'll get us all together in Sheffield we make our way over there and then have you know a training camp maybe once every two or three months I can't remember how many times but we had quite a few together so we had quite a lot of preparation for that for the Commonwealth Games and then what was what was your history um with the 
representing the national team, representing the England national team, because you, you, you mentioned mm. that, that obviously when you first tried to sign with London, you couldn't because you'd just recently been a international. Like, um, when mm. did you first get your, your first cap, um, your first international call-up, and kind of uh, what was your progression through the England ranks over the years? So, um, it was... It was Steve Butnell, one of one of the people that I'd say is my mentor. Steve Butnell, um, he spoke to the coach, which was um, Laszlo Namath, and said, "You know, there's this young guy. I think you need to have a look at him. Um, he'll be good. To, he'll be. I think he'll be a good addition in the future for the national team." And um, so, having Steve Butnell's recommendation helped help the cause a lot. And um, it was just after I finished playing college basketball, um, they had a summer trip over to New Zealand. And um, crazy, funny thing was that um, the coach came to watch me play at Crystal Palace at a run. And because I knew he'd come, made efforts to come and watch me play, I just had the worst game ever. And I was like, <laughs> oh, because I knew he was watching. I was, you know, that it's just, I just thought, oh, he's watching me, he's watching me. I've got to do something, I've got to do something. And then, <laughs> so it's kind of backfired. But in the end, he still called me up to go to, to New Zealand to come and watch. Um, into, sorry, to come and play. So that was when I first um, got a debut on the on the England team. And, you, and, and um, you, did, you ever, did you ever represent as a junior? Uh, no, never, never. Wow. Never. And so carry on what you were saying, then you said the first... Yeah, the first couple of games in, in New Zealand, I was... I, I did okay, maybe five or six points, and then I had a breakout game in the last one when I had, uh, I had about 17 which was kind of opened up his eyes in terms of he could see what I could do on the court. And so in the Commonwealth Games, uh, you know, I, I would mm. assume that, I don't, well, tell me, I assume it was one of the highlights of your career, but can you kind of talk back on your, your memories of the Commonwealth Games and, um, and your selection and, and kind of uh, going out mm. there and, and how it was? Yeah, so, um, yeah, definitely one of the highlights and, you know, something I can, I'm proud to say I'm a Commonwealth Games medalist. Uh, something else that will stick with me forever. Um, uh, getting the opportunity to represent your country and go out to Australia and such a you know prestigious event was just it was it was a lot of fun. Um, just with the people that I went with, the guys on the team, and you know we had such good um, camaraderie. Um, and you know just having the you know the guys that we had, we were quite an older team because a lot of the guys were. We had a lot of vets on the team, um, but, you know, the vets, they knew what they were doing and we knew how to get the job done, basically. Um, and being in that kind of environment, obviously something never before, having a, you know, in a, in a, village, a village where everybody's at and all the clubs and all the teams are at from each of the countries. And, you know, it's really, it was special, real, real good memory in it. And it was in Melbourne, Australia, and they, they just did such a fantastic job accommodating us and, yeah, it was great. Had you had you gone in uh, like I, I mean I, I wasn't really covering the game or know about the game that that well back then. Um, but did mm. they uh, were you like favourites going in? Were you expected to medal? What were the expectations and compared to the performance? So we were expected to medal, and you know on paper, um, you know the to be fair, there were some there were you know Barbados. But, you know, on paper, we're supposed to be better than Barbados. On paper, we're supposed to be better than um, Nigeria. Um, the questions gets asked when we had to play against New Zealand and Australia. Obviously, they had really they had a real strong team 
for both of those both those countries had really good teams. So on paper we were expected and the pressure was on us to at least come back come out with a medal. And you got the job done, so it's all good. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So then <laughs> after so that was two thousand and six, I think. Um, yeah. You were actually then involved with the first couple of years of the Great Britain program when it was reborn in the run up to the Olympics. Uh, is that yeah. right? Yeah. Can you talk about kind yeah. of how yeah. that how that came about and uh, yeah, what happened? So um, so things went a little bit quiet after the Commonwealth Games when we got you know there wasn't much else going on regarding the national team and then they the news came off of, of the Great Britain team and. Um, it was a bit of a strange one because some of the people that I'd been on with the England team didn't get the call up. Um, so it was a bit of a, I was a bit like, you know, I'm not sure about this. If this person isn't playing and why isn't this person playing, at least get a call up to work them, work them out and let's see what they can do. Um, but I thought, you know, uh, it's again, honour to represent and, be, and play for Great Britain. So, I thought, uh, so yeah, I went along with the programme and I think the first, one of the first, no, no, sorry, that was the year after. But um, yeah, so we, um, I think it was qualifying for, or was, no, sorry, it was a Group B um, tournament, I think, for the Europeans we we played in in that first uh, tour. Um, and it was it was good. I had, um, I was quite, I was solid, I'd say. I think, I, I believe I started on the wing. And um, we had um, we had a lot of success, and I think we got the job done. Um, we had a, oh, we had a good summer that summer, and I think it continued the following summer as well. So, what uh, when I look up your um, your profile, that's actually still live on the GB website. It says that in the mm. second year, uh, so two thousand and seven, uh, you ended mm. up leaving the program for personal reasons. Um, yeah, yeah. Th- there's like a. And it says that, and that was effectively your retirement for the international game. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Explain so, um, kind of what I'll, I'll explain that. I'll explain it on my part and try not to be too controversial with it. So um, basically, the second, so the first year, we we had it. You know, um, I had a great tour. I was, you know, playing well. Started, you know, one of the leading scorers on the team, and so I was getting all the shine. Everything, you know, that's fine, great. Um, the second year. Um, they pulled a little bit more resources. We had a, a big training camp in Orlando and, you know, recruited some more players in. And um, I still made the squad, but I just felt that I was being a little bit overlooked. And I, in, in some instances, I was overlooked and it kind of got me a bit... I, I wasn't saying that because... Um, the team was really strong, which was fine. So if I'm not playing, that's fine if it's a strong team. But there's still a little bit of respect that still needs to be shown, even if I'm not playing, in terms of so a little incident happened and I was, that kind of like opened my eyes. We were flying somewhere and they forgot to buy me a ticket to go. <laughs> what? Yeah, so we're, I'm the GB team, so everyone's got a ticket to go somewhere. And they forgot to buy me a ticket. And I was like, all right, okay. I know, all right, this is when um, Luar Deng joined the team as well. Um, so obviously I wasn't, my services wasn't needed as much. Obviously we got Luar Deng, fine, not a problem. But don't forget to buy me a plane ticket if I'm part of the team. 
now I'm feeling like, ah, do you really want me here sort of attitude, you know? So yeah. uh, that's so from that kind of feeling, which I kind of got more and more, um, I just thought, you know, yeah, it, it, it just wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't happy at the end of the day. And I thought, let me do something where make, make myself, uh, I wanted to be happy with whatever I'm doing. And I'm, you know, and yeah. so I thought, yeah, it wasn't the right situation for me there and then. So yeah. Did you um? <laughs> did you get did you get on did you get on okay with Chris Finch or did you have run-ins with with Finch as well? Um, I didn't. <laughs> I he only I only spoke to him. Strange one, really strange. So say I was with him a, a month, you know, during these times, I'd have like three conversations with him. I think if I remember, maybe four, if I'm being generous, actual conversations in a month. Yeah. And it wasn't. I'm. I'm not. I'm never rude to anybody. If you, you can know. You can ask anybody, and everybody yeah. you speak about with me, they, you won't get that kind of feedback. I'm not arrogant. I'm not. You know. I'm as humble as they come. And I listen. I learn. I, I want to be as good as I can be. That's kind of how I am. And. I, yeah, he just, I think they just didn't, just never really spoke to him, never really spoke to him. I didn't have a problem with him. I don't know if he had a, I don't think he had a problem with me. It's just, we didn't really speak. And so sometimes if something happened on the court and I was like, I got frustrated, um, it would be the assistant coaches that would be like, well, da, 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 explain it. Then I'd be like, okay, yeah, fine. So yeah, it was a, it was a weird one. A weird yeah, one. I've, I've, I've had a lot of players say that, that he, he just wasn't into relationships off the court. Um, and it wasn't, there's, yeah, like just not, maybe not so as personable. The reason, the reason I asked that is because the quote, again, this is, for me it's a bit strange that they still have this on the GB website. But there's a quote, mm. I, don't know, I don't know if you've even seen this, but there's a quote from him mm. on your profile mm. that says, uh, Chris Finch says, Julius was a solid member of the team in the first year, but struggled in year two with the commitment and demands we made of our players. Still, he had a very good first year for us. And it's just like, it's just throwing shade. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is a bit. Yeah, yeah it is a bit. But, but yeah, it, is what it, it is. was. Yeah, I, I don't know. It is. It really is what it is. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, yeah, I'm aware of time because we're running over. So um, I normally like to maybe we'll do a part two at some point to go a bit more in depth of of your of your, the actual pro career and your different stops and everything else and, and more of the things that you've done since um, since you stopped playing. But um, for now, uh, just before we wrap up, a couple of uh, sort of quick more quick fire questions um, mm-hmm. so first one is uh, best junior British player you've ever seen best junior um, uh, Adju Deng as a junior talk, talk about what he was like as a as an under 18 young guy in under 19 um, well he was he was you know 6'11 nearly 7 foot and he could handle the ball like a guard, literally. Crossing, he was crossing people over. He was shooting the three-pointer. He was, he wasn't just blocking shots. He was catching people's shots and starting a fast break with it. And seeing someone do all that, it was you know mind blowing, mind blowing. Never seen anything like that. Best British coach um, you've ever played for? Well, I mean, in this day and age, yeah. It's, it, mm. Best British coach. Um, Oh, tough one. Um, Tony Garblett was good. He's got a, a good mindset in terms of what he wants on the court, and you know he gets gets results. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah, we'll take that. The best uh, best team uh, group of guys that you've played with, the best team, the, most, the sort of the best team that you've most enjoyed playing for. Um, probably my college guys, because obviously you 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 know you're together day in day out, so you become like family. Uh, career highlight, number one sort of most memorable career moment for you. Um, probably uh, I had a game winner playing in a, we had a tournament up in Luxembourg and I, I hit a game winner um, yeah that was really that was I was over the moon you know especially when you're playing for England um, I think we were playing I think we were playing Luxembourg at the time and yeah that was it What advice would you give to a young British player that uh, wants to be a professional? Um, I would say you have to one stay humble, um, two work hard, and um, basically make make the most of your opportunities. I think that's a, a perfect place to leave it. Um, Julius, thank you so much for taking the time. Obviously, I know we've gone a little bit over time, but it was uh, really really interesting. Uh, really appreciate it, and hopefully, yeah, we can do a part two down the line sometime. All right, much appreciated. Thank you. You are listening to the Hoops Fix podcast, the official voice of the UK's largest basketball website. Visit hoopsfix.com for exclusive news, videos and more.